All right. Hey, welcome to New Life, everybody. If you would, go ahead and find your seat. That'll be, that would be great. I want to welcome you to our Kearney campus. Uh, whether you're worshiping in our east venue or our west venue or what we call our main auditorium or the venue, it's the church inside of the church, or you're worshiping with us out at our um, North Platte campus. Uh, it's a joy to be one church in multiple locations. Uh, and guys, listen, we just uh, had the dedication of uh, at our Carney campus out here at the west, these two new entrances and many, many more parking places. It allows for our parking to seating ratio now to be one where we can fill up our entire facility multiple times over and over every single Sunday morning. We're trying to pave the way so that more people can come into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the kind of church that we are, and we're thankful that you're here. If you're a guest with us, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, get, I get the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at this church, and um, we've got a number of campus pastors if you're worshiping in one of our other venues. Hey, to uh, just kind of focus for a moment on the Pave the Way project. <clears throat> in your bulletin, you, you've got like a pledge card in there. Would you just pull that card out for a moment? Please don't worry. No fear. I'm not going to have you fill it out and turn it in right now. Um, what I want to do is I just want to draw your attention to the fact that um, we want to pay this thing off, right? We, we want to get this project paid off as quickly as possible. And we're going to have a Sunday coming up, the first Sunday of April, where if you weren't a part of round one in our uh, Pave the Way giving, we want to give you a chance to be a part of this round two in our Pave the Way giving. Now that the project's complete and you can see it and you can feel it and you know, it was, a little, it was a little hard for many people to wrap their eyes around and their mind around what were we actually going to do out here. But now that you see it, I think you can see um, we're just building on the excellence of the generations that have gone before us at New Life. Um, the generations before us have built an incredible facility that God's used to see many people grow and be discipled in Christ. We just want to continue that theme, and I think that you can see that out to the West. And so we want to pay it off. Uh, we also want to stay in good standings with our great friends at First National Bank, if you know what I mean, um, right? We just want to pay that thing off. Uh, so you're going to get an opportunity the first Sunday of April to fill out that card and turn it in. I want you to take these next few weeks to be praying about how you can join our church in giving. Kim and I, we give $200 a month to this Pave the Way. I know you're going, wow, hold on, man. Are we supposed to talk about how much people give? I just want to let you know we're in. Uh, we're in, and uh, we feel like that's what God spoke to us. What is God going to speak to you about what part you can play? And so um, just pray about that. First Sunday of April, we're going to take those, we're going to receive those cards, and, and then together we're going to believe that God's going to help us pay that off. All right? Very good. Hey, I want to stir some emotion, if I haven't already, talking about money. That stirs emotion. Um, I, want to, I want to talk about other emotion for a moment. I want you to think about a moment when you got super, super angry. I know some of you are out there and you're like, I don't ever get angry, Jeff. Whatever. All right? We all have, we all have anger. All right? So think about a moment when you got angry think about that all right now now refrain you know from whatever's getting ready to come out of your mouth keep all of the thoughts everything on the inside for me okay but you can think about it you can see the moment you might be able to see the face of someone i mean who knows and you know i got it good sermonizing doesn't start with evoking the emotion of anger i understand uh, but it's for a purpose. Now I want you to think about the moment <clears throat> in your life where you experienced extreme sorrow. Sorrow. Like it brought you to your knees, kind of sorrow. That kind of sorrow that maybe 
overwhelmed you so much that weeping was something that you just was uncontrollable. You just couldn't stop it. Um, sorrow. Those memories, they flash back, don't they? And those moments, they come back. And it's, it's so amazing how those moments of anger and sorrow, those memories can be so vivid and so alive, and they can just come flashing back. It's like a movie in your mind. But now I want you to think about a moment that just made you happy. Happy. A moment where you were happy. All right, think about that moment for, for a while with me. All right, think about it. Just picture the moment. It, it might be in the delivery room when your first child was born. Right? Uh, right after you got slapped, guys, right? Right after that, like, after, after I hate your guts, and then I love you, and all of that, and it was just, like, a big emotional thing, and then it may be your happiest moment. Maybe it was on a vacation. Maybe it was walking, you know, hand-in-hand with your spouse. I don't know what your happiest moment was, but if I gave you a choice and you could only think on one of those emotions for the rest of your life, which one would you pick? That's not a trick question, church. This is not like you fail the test if you don't pick the right one. Of course, I think everybody would try to pick the, I want to think on the happy things, right? I want, that's what I want my emotions to be on. I would love just to live in that spot if possible. And the word happy, um, to define the word happy means to show pleasure or to be content with something. To show pleasure or be content. You know, one of the things I'm really happy about being the pastor of this church, it brings me great pleasure. Oh, there's difficult moments. But it still brings me great pleasure. And I'm fully content. Like, I don't walk away on a Sunday and wake up on a Monday morning going, man, what church can I move to? I don't do that. I wake up on Monday morning going, let's go tackle the next week and ask the staff that are around me, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, all right, let's move on. Let's go conquer the next thing. I, I, I drive onto the property here sometimes and I just, I'm in awe at times that God, you would even choose me to be a pastor at this church, much less choose me to be the lead pastor. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Right? Are you sure? But I, it brings me great pleasure and I have a lot of contentment. Now in the Bible, you see the word joy being used a lot. But to define the word joy, then you have to go you have to use these words. It's a feeling, watch this though, it's a feeling of great pleasure. So what was happiness? Happiness was showing pleasure. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure. And then guess what? And happiness. It's hard to use the word joy without putting it with the concept of being happy. And so these two words, they, they kind of go back and forth. And I know you might choose one over another, but today I just you need to know that, you know, you have an emotion, and one of those emotions is being happy. And we just want to test that emotion just for a moment. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to throw some pictures up on the screen, and then I want you to kind of be a gauge for me, all right? You're going to, if you, when you see a picture, if this picture makes you happy, then I want you to put your hands together and cheer really loud and be like, woohoo! yeah and if the picture doesn't make you happy then don't cheer at all right just sit there sit there and be stoic and be grumpy whatever you want to do all right but everybody's going to be involved all right so be careful because you don't want to like go too high maybe on the first one because then if you want to go higher it could really hurt your hands and you might lose your voice but i want you to go all out with me we're going to gauge some things that make you happy on this earth all right let's do an experiment here's number one it's a puppy
It's a puppy. Okay. All right. Come on. Look at that puppy, everybody. Oh. I heard some people before they even clapped, they were like, oh, like that. Okay. So a puppy. It made you happy. Let's go to the next one. A bouquet of flowers. Man, I literally thought, I thought that might be louder. I was trying to help you husbands, right? If you were sitting next to your wife or next to your girlfriend and they clapped really loud on that one, note to self. All right. Note to self. Um, let's go to the next one. How about taking a nap in a hammock? All right. That's, that's good. <laughs> you nappers. Um, uh, how about this? Just football in general. Football. That's a football? Now, I don't have the picture up there because I didn't want to be one of the few people clapping, although I've got a few friends that are in this room. But if I would have put hockey up there, come on, hockey! Woo! Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah! See, it would have been odd like that, and I didn't want to do that, so, because I would have kept cheering longer. All right, let's go to the next one chocolate cake. It's like puppies and chocolate cake. We're about like that. A chocolate puppy. Okay, I didn't know. If, if I, okay, forget that. Forget I even went there. Um, all right, how about this one? A vacation on the beach. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right, yeah. It, just in case you're in North Platte or in the venue, the whistling that pierced your ear through my microphone is my wife trying to send me a signal. <laughs> right. Got it. Got it. Let's, let's, can I even move on beyond that one? Let's do one last one. All right. Does this make you happy? Coffee. Yeah. 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 Woo. Yeah! I see some people not clapping. Yeah! All right. Anyways. All right. So there's some things that make you happier than other things, but you have this emotion in you of happiness. Now, here's the punchline. You were created in the image and in the likeness of God. If you could be happy about some of the things that God created... Who do you think God is? We don't often consider the fact that God can be happy. We see God in many different facets in Scripture with all different types of emotions. We see, we see a God who grieves. We see a God who weeps. We see a God with controlled anger. We see a God who hates. There's even a Scripture that talks about God laughing. There's Scriptures that talk about the joy of the Lord. There's Scriptures that talk about God loving, His pleasures, His compassion, and even, yes, happiness. But unfortunately, we have an enemy who lies to us and makes us want to believe that the greatest part of God is one that is angry, judgmental, and a grudge-holding God. I'm suggesting to you today, we need to unlearn that so that we can learn another facet of God. That God is happy. Now, to unlearn, you need to listen to last week's sermon. You can go to mynewlifechurch.com, click on our on-demand section, and you can watch that sermon live right there. But we need to replace this angry, grudge-holding God with this. God is happy. God is happy to be God. 
Just think about it. God's happy to be God. God doesn't wake up on Monday morning going, man, why do I have to put up with these people? I just want a different job. Give me a different job. Can I have a different job? Like God doesn't wake up, number one. And number two, he doesn't go around going, man, is there a different job I could have? This is driving me crazy. Being God. No, God finds great pleasure in being God. God is completely content being God. God is happy about being God. Now I want you to take out your phone really quick. All right, if you got a smartphone with you or tablet, and I want you to open it up to your Facebook account. And I want you, during this sermon, I want you to be thinking about something that stands out to you from this sermon. Some statement that just kind of hits you right in the heart. And let's make sure that our world knows, as well as our church knows, some powerful truths that God's going to share today. And so I want you to send it out on your, out on your Facebook account, right? I want you to make out, make, send out the statement, and I want you to, to tag um, our, uh, our Facebook accounts here at, our North Pla- uh, at North Platte, as well as our Kearney location. And we have two different ones. And so depending on where you're worshiping with us today, tag your, your, uh, your statement with you know, at New Life Kearney or New Life North Platte, and then make sure you use the, uh, the emoji of the smiley face. So to help get you started, you might want to send out the statement, God is happy to be God. Why is this so important? This, this aspect of God is happy is like a gateway. And if you open this gate and you start reading God's scriptures through this lens versus reading that God is more against me, you start reading that God is for me, guess what happens to the Bible? It starts coming alive like it never has before. Guess what happens in your worship? Your worship starts being something that's filled with more joy, happiness. Guess what happens to your countenance and your character when you know that God is, he's not against you, but he's for you and he's happy about you. This thing, what happens? Things begin to transform and change on the inside of you. God is happy to be God. So let's talk about a subject matter that rarely gets talked about. God just being happy. You know, at the beginning of the Bible, you've got the creation story. In Genesis chapter 1, you get these multiple days, day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, with all this creation taking place. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, we get this statement about God, that God looks at what he creates and it says that he has pleasure with it. Right? That he is very pleased with what he created. And so God rests on the seventh day. No, God doesn't go take a nap on the seventh day. God looks at what he created, and he's very pleased with it. He finds great pleasure in what he created. He's very content with what he created. He looks at it, and he goes, perfect. Doesn't need an extra star over here. That planet doesn't need to spin any closer over there. That sun doesn't need to be any hotter over here. Those plants are perfect. Those animals are perfect. This is amazing. I love it just the way it is. So the Bible starts out with with God being a God that is happy with what he created. How in the world has humanity got to a point where they think that more more of of humans think that God's against them than God is for them? Because we often see God from this like stoic, long, firm-faced, bearded God with steely eyes, right? With this attitude of like, try to impress me. I mean, seriously, For most Christians, if they had to give God a role in a Western movie, 
Like an old Western movie, they would dress God in all the black. He would be the, the villain instead of being the one dressed in white coming to save the day. Because if they had to really choose between those two and how God sees them, they would have to be honest and say, well, I'm going to have to put God over here. And I grew up um, in church, and as a young man, not because of maybe the fault of the leaders, but just the way that I saw um, God, I, I grew up with this idea that that's who God was. That, you know, God was this distant God. He was upset at me and that he was wanting and waiting to beat me with some kind of holy bat to beat the sin right out of me. That if I approached him, that would be his response. And that type of response, guys, that kind of response hinders your ability to have a relationship with God that radically transforms your life. That's what I missed in my adolescent years. That's what I missed in my early young adult years until my parents sent me a gift. My parents sent me a gift of an artist friend that they they know who one day sat down so moved by a scripture that he started to pencil this drawing of Jesus. It's become fairly popular. In fact, you can buy them online. Um, They sent me this and it was framed. Now this picture hangs in my office as a great reminder because this picture really started to mess with my idea of who God is. This picture right here hangs in my office um, at at my home. I remember opening this picture and gazing into the eyes of this figure that was depicting Jesus, having never seen eyes like that before in a picture that I thought about Jesus. Looking at his facial structure and the way that the muscles have, you know, contoured and changed as he's brought a smile onto his face, I look at the face of this man and I go, how could that be Jesus? I don't see that face looking at me. And it started to mess with my mind. It started to mess with my understanding of God. It started to cause me to have to look and research and study and, you know, try to unlearn these old paradigms of God. Just by gazing at this one artist's interpretation of Jesus from one scripture, it started to really change me from the inside out. Now, this friend of our family, Rick Alvarez, he wrote this off of John 15, 11. Let me read to you John 15, verses 10 and 11, so you've got a better understanding of what's the background behind that painting or that picture. Jesus was here, and he goes, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments, and I remain in his love. But here's the kicker. I have told you these things so that you, you, will be filled with whose joy? My joy, yes, your joy will overflow. The the part of that scripture that really started to kind of like, it started to eat away at me. It caused me to start really trying to ask some serious questions about who God is, was when I read that simple word, my joy. God is full of joy. God, a happy God. And that just kind of, it kind of got into me and I couldn't get away from it. And it kept causing me to look at scripture differently and worship God differently. And my life started to really kind of come alive because I had to unlearn that God isn't only a God who's going to judge and only a God who actually has the emotion of anger, but that God also has the ability to be happy. And he could be happy towards me, just like Jeremiah highlights for us 
how God is happy about his people. Take a look at this response of how God sees his people. It says, I will rejoice, this being God, I will rejoice in doing them, my people, doing them what? Good. And will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my what? Heart and soul. Look at it. God's going, I rejoice. It brings me great joy. I'm, I'm overjoyed. I am happy about doing good for my people. In fact, I'm so happy about doing it, I'm going to do it with all, everything I've got. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength. And with everything that God has, God was going, I, I want to do good for my people. And guess what? It makes me so happy to do that. See, guys, that's who God is. That's who God wants to be to you. And so it's one thing to entertain the idea that God is happy. It's another thing to entertain the idea that God's happy about you. The reason is, is because you know yourself. You know all your flaws. You know all of your imperfections. You look yourself in the mirror. You see where you fail left and right. And you've got an enemy who just keeps barking in your ear, letting you know, telling you this lie, that because God hates sin, God isn't pleased with you. Well, I'm, gonna t- I'm here to tell you today, there's a massive difference between you know, what you did and who you are. A big difference between what you did and who you are. Let me illustrate that for a moment. For you that are parents, let's say you got a son or a daughter, and yesterday, yesterday they got caught stealing something from a local store. How would you feel about that? What emotion would that evoke? Right? Would, some of you, you'd be angry. Man, oh, some of you, you would just be, man, you would hate. You hate the act that they did. You're like, I hate the fact that you stole that. I'm so disappointed in you. I just, I, some of you would find it hard to even find words to describe your feeling towards your son or your daughter who didn't need to steal it, but they stole it anyways. And like, I don't know. One minute after you find this out and you start expressing this emotion to your son or your daughter, radical thing takes place. Terrorist walks through the door with a gun and says this to you. You got one choice. Either your son or your daughter dies or you die. One of you is going to die. Now because of your feelings towards your, towards your, your kid because they just stole something, are you going to go, see, you shouldn't have stole something, now you're going to die. Is that what you're going to do? If you're, a, if you're a loving parent, even though you just found this out a minute ago, aren't you going to go, take my life, let them live? Now, where in the world would you even get that thought? Is it because that we're so good as humans? Like we got this human thing figured out so well that we just respond right to those difficult moments? And the answer to that is obviously no. The reason why you'd respond that way is because that's the way God responds. So when God looks at your life, it is possible for God to hate your sin, but to be completely happy about you. To see the difference between what you did and who you are. And for you and for me, we need to rest in the promise of God and in his word in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says that while you and me were still sinners Christ died for us 
While we were standing there with the stolen item in our hands, Jesus was dying on the cross. While our hands are guilty with sin, Jesus is giving his life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you've got a choice today. You can either maximize the fact that God's happy about you, or you can minimize it, and you can push God away. But I guarantee you this, God is longing to rejoice over you. Just like we read earlier, God is longing to rejoice over you, and God wants you to believe that he is and has the capability of being a happy God. And if you will allow yourself to believe that God is happy towards you, you will open up a gate and start exploring God in a, in, a, in a way of relationship that will cause you to become closer to Jesus Christ than you have ever been in your entire life. And you'll begin to experience an incredible picture of God's joy and God's happiness over your life, hidden away in a little book in, a, in the third chapter and the 17th verse of a book called Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Here's what it says about God's heart. For, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Can you even bring yourself to the point right now of entertaining the idea that God sitting in heaven right now would think so highly of you and be so happy about you as a person? Now, hates our sin, but so happy about you as a person that God himself would get up off of his throne and do a little jig in front of the throne, right? And sing a song that he's so happy that it would include your name in it. Can you even bring yourself to entertain that idea? What's keeping you from entertaining that idea? Possibly the lie. Because God hates my sin, he hates me, the sinner. I'm telling you today, you need to come to a point where you can entertain the idea that God is so happy about you that he knows your name not just to judge us, but he knows your name to sing songs that bring him great happiness about you. That is the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship today. He knows your name, and your name is being included in songs of celebration. So it's one thing that God's happy. It's another thing that God's happy about you. But lastly, God's happy about your future. Now, you and me, we don't know our future. You can guess at it, grope at it, kind of, you know, try to make plans for it, but you don't know your future. And right now, as we go through current struggles and strife and pain, we, we don't even really even see God's hand at work. It, it's hard for us to even see God working in our lives right now. It takes us to go into the future, right, one, two, three years beyond a struggle, beyond a strife, beyond a pain, to even look back and go, God, your faithful hand was at work. So even when we struggle right now, we can't see what's going on. It takes us time. we got to get beyond it. And then true gratitude can seep into our heart, and we can say, God, you were at work even when I was going through that difficult time. But see, God sees your future. God knows it, and he has incredible plans for you. Christians often quote a passage of Scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. In that passage of scripture, it's kind of like hope for us, that God knows us and he has plans for us. 
How many of you guys have ever heard that scripture quoted? All right, all right. Well, let's read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, that's good news, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, that's absolutely true. That would be a great picture of God's heart for you and for me as he looks into our future. Now, with all of that said, what most people never do, and most people that can quote this verse have no clue the backing behind this. When you just jump one verse in front of this, here's what Jeremiah 29.10 says. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon, slavery, captivity, right? Working for the man for 70 years. Oh, but then I will come and I'll do for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. But it all starts with, yep, for 70 years you're going to go into captivity and you're going to be in slavery. Don't worry, I got plans for you. And they're good plans. We, when we think about God's future for our lives, we think of one that just has that candy land, everything goes perfect, heaven on earth kind of experience. I'm here to tell you today, God's picture, the happiness of God as he looks into your future doesn't mean that it's going to be a pain-free future. It means you're going to go through difficult struggles and difficult trials. Some of those difficult moments we're going to bring on ourselves, the consequences even of our own sin. Others are going to be because we live on an imperfect planet that's full of sin and crazy things happen. And other times, God's going to purposefully walk us through difficult moments. But he's doing that because God's picture of a happy future for you and me is not the pain-free one. It's the one where we develop the very character and the qualities of Jesus. When God thinks about your future, he thinks about not just earthly wealth and earthly goodness and earthly greatness. He thinks about the character, the nature that your mind stops thinking in its human selfishness, but it starts thinking in a Christ-centeredness. That your compassion and your love isn't just self-centered, but it's outward focus and it starts loving like he loves. That you start taking on the very character and the nature of a Christ-centered life. That's God's picture for your preferred, preferred future. And what you and me need to do is we need to come to a point where we can trust him. That even if we go through the difficult times, God's still happy with me and happy about my future. You don't get to develop the character and the nature of Christ when you're winning all the time. You're going to have to go through some difficult seasons to develop that. It's in the darkest moments that we develop some of the most incredible character in our lives. But it's in the darkest moments that the enemy's trying to shout his lies into our life. That Look, God's against you. He's not for you. So whether you're on the mountaintop today or you're in the valley, God's equally happy about you. Whether you're on the mountaintop of life or the valley of life, God, God is happy about the future he has planned for you. He can't love you anymore on the top. He can't love you any less 
in the valley. He's equal and stable. God is happy about you and about your future. To wrap up today, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was telling this parable about this manager, this man who had great wealth, and he had three servants that worked for him, and he needed to leave and go out of town, and he wanted his servants to manage some of his properties for him. And so he gave to one servant, in, in uh, the New Testament language, he gave the one servant five talents. He gave to another servant two, two talents, and he gave to the third servant one talent. He leaves. The man with the five talents, he goes and invests it, and he does great works with it, and he turns it into ten talents. The man with the two turns it into four. The man with the one, he buries it in the ground. So the master comes back. Hey, guys, what did you do with what I gave you? The guy with the five said, I turned it into ten. The guy with the two, I turned it into four. I doubled it. And then the guy with the one, I buried it in the ground. The master took the one from him and had that guy fired right on the spot. And he took the one and he gave it to it to the guy who had done well with the five. And then Jesus, as he's telling this story about the kingdom of God and about God's heart towards humanity and the principles of God's kingdom, Jesus said, this is what the master, this is what God said to the two guys who took their talents and they doubled them. They used them to bring glory and honor to their master. These are the words that Jesus used. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's... Master's what? Basically, well done. You did incredible. God gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you abilities. And you're using them to honor God and to glorify God. Guess what God's going to say to you and me when we transform from this life which is temporal, to eternity and spend eternity with God in heaven? What can you expect out of the mouth of God for those who are loyal and faithful and obedient to him and let their lives be maximized by him? You can expect God to be standing at the pearly gates, so to say, and stand there and say, come on, come on in and share, share in my happiness. Welcome, way to go. I'm so glad you're here. Come and share in my happiness. That's the heart of God. That's what we're looking for. We're looking forward to the day where God, the Father, stands in heaven and he looks at you and he goes, well done, way to go. You used your life for my glory. You used your finances to honor me. You used your talents to honor me. You took every opportunity possible to glorify my name. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on into my happiness. That's who God is. That's the God that we're here today to worship. So if you believed that God was happy, how would it change your worship of him today? If you believed that God was really ecstatic about you coming to worship him today, how would it change your response to him? It should radically, radically change it. So let's come today, these next few moments, And let's worship a God who is also happy. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we are so blessed to be able to come to this church, whether we're here in Kearney or we're in North Platte, and have an opportunity to worship you. Lord, we don't deserve it. 
our lives, the sin that's in our lives should have separated us from you and condemned us to eternity away from you. But Lord, you sent your son to die on a cross. And out of joy in his heart, he was obedient to you. So that if we are obedient to him, we might have your joy living in us. Lord, I pray right now that you would break the lie. Break the lie that is coursing through the hearts of so many people that, Lord, you're against them and not for them. Break that lie today. Lord, I pray that you would remove the picture of the stoic, angry, try-to-impress-me-God picture with the one I showed on the screen of the one that says, I have joy, and if you walk in obedience with me, my joy is going to fill you up. Lord, may you do that today. May you fill up this church with your joy. And may we be transformed in your presence over these next few moments together. In Jesus' name, amen.